Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Over the Top Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas on the line with Doug Migden. We're going to be talking transcontinental bike race again. Uh, what an incredible interview we had before. I really have been looking forward to talking with you again. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks again for, uh, thanks for having me again. And it's a real pleasure to be on your show, George. Well, I'd like to get into your race a little bit more in detail from last year, but I I wasn't sure if you were going to be doing this again or not. And, uh, I know registration opened up. Did you get your name in? I'm going to be a little evasive. I'm going to say that uh, I really want to do it again. It's a question of when. So that's going to be my answer. I'm sorry to be evasive, but uh, we're going to leave it at that. Okay. We're going to try to trick it out of you during the next 30 minutes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, So, again, just getting into your race, there's so many stories that have to have happened there that we didn't even touch on. Uh, one of the things that you sent me that you'd really like to talk about was the dark, lonely, but not really lonely church in Bosnia. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting time. I had, uh, the, I guess that the night before I had ridden all night to get to the third checkpoint in Bukovar, Croatia, and I sort of thought I might stay all night there, you know, rest like a whole day or a good part of a day. But I got in there, I slept for a few hours, I ate, and I said, you know, I'm going to hit the road and and get a jump on on what I thought I would do. So I rode on, and it was a very interesting sort of, in some ways, sort of eerie time because I went from the third checkpoint in Vukovar into Serbia, and when I crossed from Serbia into Bosnia, I got stuck at the border. And on the last show, you had asked me any problems with the borders, and I, I said no, and I forgot about a couple incidents. And one of them was crossing from Serbia, and I was just in a little part of Serbia, just this little sort of part of Serbia between Croatia and Bosnia, and um, I got to the border, and it was very interesting because there was there was nothing before the border. I was on my own. It was uh, it was just it had just gotten dark. Uh, Serbia was very stark, uh, very sort of a, it was sort of depressing the part of Serbia I was in. Um, 
the, the twilight riding of Serbia and, and got into, um, got to this border and all of a sudden there were just a zillion big trucks backed up at this border and a lot of people. And it turns out that the border had been closed for 24 hours. Um, and there was, uh, apparently it was a cel- 20th uh, year anniversary of the end of the war, some political celebration. I don't know why, but the border was closed. And the Serbian guard that sort of uh, told me, hey, it's closed, you can't go, he sort of took me under his wing. It was sort of nice. And he said, the good news is you only have two and a half hours left in this 24-hour period. So you only have to wait two and a half hours. So he said, you can wait back here. You know, I explained to him I was in this race and whatnot. And um, they let me sit on the side of the building. But the weird thing is they wouldn't let me sleep. I'd fall asleep and they'd wake me up. I said, you cannot sleep here. And I'm like, great. Uh, And anyway, so uh, it was very, it was a little bit surreal because it was like some, you know, bunch of trucks in the Eastern Bloc uh, scenario, some Tom Clancy movie, you're figuring where the spy is going to be now. And, you know, here I am and all these truckers and whatnot. And so anyway, I finally got through. It finally opened two and a half, three hours later, which, which, which is interesting because you're, you know, this is supposed to be a race and things like this come up and you can't really do anything about it. You, can, you know, I can't try to run the, you know, run the border. I mean, that's not going to work. I just, you just sort of suck it up and say, Hey, this is the way it is. And you try to sleep or eat or whatever to be efficient. And unfortunately they wouldn't let me sleep. Um, so anyway, so I got through the border and then I was in Bosnia and it was dark and, and this, you know, it was dark, 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 and I ran into this church uh, just on the side of the road, and, and it was lit up, and everything else was just pitch black. And uh, on the one hand, it was very lonely. On the other hand, it was like this very peaceful, reflective time, and it was one of many examples of this thing being sort of a grand symphony with highs and lows and quiet times and exciting times, and uh, the church sort of in my mind, especially because this is Bosnia, and this is a church, and this is a predominantly Muslim country, but very divided, and it was very interesting talking to people like at gas station, the gas station guy, I remember, uh, further down the road in Bosnia about the underlying tension that still existed in this country uh, as a consequence of the war. So that's funny about the border that really got me, is that as soon as you mentioned that, I was thinking, wow, if you'd shown up there... 22 hours earlier, you could have had a forced sleep of a day and really taken advantage of that, but they wouldn't let you rest. I mean, obviously you could sit down and rest, but not go to sleep. Yeah, it was just sort of odd. They, they had me, uh, they said, you can stay in the back here. And it was this huge wooden crate with a, a bunch of plastic cups filled with cigarette butts and me. Um, and, uh, I would fall asleep, but they would come back and they'd wake me up and say, you can't sleep here. And I don't know if it's because they didn't want people, you know, hanging out and sleeping at their border crossing or what, but it was, it was, uh, it was different. So let's just rehash exactly what the transcontinental bike race is. If you could tell us where it starts, where it finishes and how many days you have to finish. Well, this year it started in Gerritsburg in uh, Belgium on the Kappelmuir, which is a uh, cobble parkour 
that used to be used in the Tour of Flanders. It has a very steep pitch to it, so it was very exciting, and it was a midnight start. And my route went through 12 countries, Belgium, France, Italy, um, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Serbia, Bosnia, uh, Montenegro, Albania, Macedonia, Greece, and Turkey. I think I have them all. I should have written them down, but I think those are the countries. And I spent about uh, a little over 18 and a half days. There was no technical time cutoff. The finishing party was at about, uh, I think, four, the end of 14 days was the first finishing party, and there was an unofficial second one. 17 days or so, and then for those of us that came after, we did our own party. Officially, there were 172 starters and 89 finishers. I think there might have been one more guy that finished, but they're still working that out. But uh, almost 48% didn't finish. Now, so that's, gotta, the, that's quick and dirty. What's it like? I mean, when you're riding across the United States, you can always tell a difference when you cross a state border, not just because of the sign, but the road quality changes. What's it like when you go from country to country? You know, uh, a really good question that is. Um, in Western Europe, Belgium, France, you know, somebody like myself, I couldn't really tell much of a difference. Uh, Belgium was pretty much night riding for me. It wasn't that long. Um, going into France, Belgium, France, you know, they didn't really, I don't, uh, I think there was a sign, but I don't think there was any passport check or anything. I can't remember exactly. Getting going into Italy, uh, I've ridden in Italy before, so I knew a little bit about Italy, but there was, there, there was actually a, a checkpoint when you went into Italy. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, you didn't tell a big difference. But then when you start getting into Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, you, it's, it's, it's different. The languages are different. Uh, people are different. The level of affluence is clearly different. Um, Slovenia was, was sort of the bridge. Slovenia was pretty, it was reasonably affluent. Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Especially Bosnia. Bosnia just was, um, there was a lot, it, it seemed poor to me. It seemed like a poor country. And uh, I hate to say it because the people were very nice, but there was this air of depression, I think, that permeated from the war in Bosnia. And so you, you could definitely, uh, you could feel it. You know, at least that's the experience I had. Um, Montenegro was, uh, you know, more Eastern European, but at the same time, Kodor Bay, uh, which is the beginning of the climb to the fourth checkpoint, Kodor Bay was pretty affluent. Uh, it was a tourism, a really nice place, and uh, there was, a, you know, uh, there was a, some, some pretty good affluence there. But it was a it was a it was a mix, and uh, Eastern Europe, you know, was was definitely different. Greece uh, was definitely not as affluent, and Turkey, you definitely felt like you were getting east. So, uh, and the road quality, 
the roads actually were pretty good in most of Bosnia. Um, Albania, there were some dodgy roads. Uh, Greece, the road was pretty good. Turkey was okay, except for the big trucks. It could have been a lot worse in Turkey, at least the places I rode through. And how about the way people received you in each country? Again, going across the United States, you feel like, oh, you know, this this state is a little more bike friendly than this state might be. How about the countries? Where were you? Where did you feel most well received? And which countries were you a little? Yeah, I don't feel like I'm really welcome here. You know, people were so nice throughout this thing, and I've thought a lot about why that is. And one, I think that human nature is basically good. Uh, I'm optimistic about that. Uh, two, regardless of the language barrier, you've got, you know, they, they hear, the, the people that you run across, they hear Belgium, Istanbul, bicycle, race, no support. That's impressive to them. You know, they want to be on your side when they hear that because you're going against the odds. You know what I mean? Does that, does that uh, connect? Very much so, yep. Um, and, you know, and, and they're rooting for you. You know, we're, we're a bunch of little Rockies out there, you know. Uh, they're, they're rooting for you. And so, so people were like this. I mean, you know, you go into the cafe and you didn't speak any English and they try to help you, you know, especially when they heard Belgium to Istanbul on a bike in a race and no one to help you. They wanted to help. Um, and uh, the drivers I even found, you know, a lot of people didn't like the drivers. I mean, there are people that had experiences in Montenegro near Coder Bay in the middle of the day when... It said the drivers were crazy, and I certainly ran into crazy drivers. But I had truck drivers that would honk way, way before they got to me in Bosnia to just let me know they were coming. And I never, I rarely have had that happen in the U.S. Um, you know, you get some, you get some people that were in a hurry, that uh, were in BMWs and Mercedes Benzes in the middle of Albania. Uh, they were more dangerous than the big trucks in Albania, in my experience. Um, the truck drivers would, you know, I don't know. I, it's sort of strange that I bonded with these truck drivers, but some of these guys sort of, you know, realized that you were just this little speck trying to survive. And these people sometimes that were in a hurry to get from you know, Greece or wherever, back to France or wherever in their Mercedes or BMW, they weren't necessarily so nice. Um, but country to country, you know, I didn't find that I could say this country was good and that country was bad. What I did notice, which was fascinating, was that certain towns um, where people rode bicycles, the drivers were much more uh, careful and much more savvy. Uh, Skodor, uh, Albania. There were a lot of bicycles in Skodor. And even though it was crazy to ride through there, uh, I felt a little bit safer in sort of this odd way because the cars were watching out for all the locals on bikes. In contrast, uh, places like uh, Podorica, um, Montenegro um, were a bit different. I rode, I got in and out of uh, Podorica 
which was a re- pretty big town. Uh, I got I got in there uh, in the afternoon. I had something to eat. I went to sleep, and I took off in the middle of the night because I didn't want to ride through that town with a bunch of traffic. Um, I did the same thing in Greece. I probably should have avoided Thessaloniki, but my route went through it, and then I didn't really want to get get off my Garmin route because that was my comfort zone. And so I did it. I went in and out of Thessaloniki in the middle of the night because I figured that was the best way to avoid the traffic. And I think for the most part, you can get away with that. I think perhaps you can't get away with that in Istanbul, I don't think. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And in, in places like Sofia, Bulgaria, which I didn't go, I didn't go the Bulgarian route. I'm not so sure you can get away with it there either. But a lot of those places, if you get in and out of there in the middle of the night, that's that's the trick. If there's going to be, you know, if it's going to be a big town or a, a city. You're listening to Over the Top Cycling. We are talking transcontinental bicycle race with Douglas Migden. Doug, what's your most memorable memory? of an encounter with an animal during the Transcon last year? Well, it's funny we all say last year, but it's really still this year, George. Uh, last, most that. recent edition. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> well, the dogs, George. I think I think the dogs are scarier than the truck. Um, everybody said... You got to be able to do a 40k per hour, 200 meter sprint to do the transcontinental race, and the reason is you got to be able to outsprint the dogs. And everybody has their theory about the dogs. Some people say, "Oh, they just want you off their territory; that they don't want to fight you; they just want to get you out of there." And you know, and other people say, "Yell at them," and you know, I don't know if anybody really knows, but. Uh, I was told that I could count with 100% certainty on hitting uh, on dogs chasing me um, as soon as I hit Eastern Europe. So I got through Slovenia, Croatia, uh, Serbia, Bosnia, Montenegro, no dogs. My first morning in Macedonia, early in the morning, I had these dogs chase me. It was scary, but it wasn't that bad. And then that night in Greece, there was a six-pack or an eight-pack. I don't know how many. They just came out of nowhere in the middle of the night and surrounded me. And all I remember is canine chompers in the dark. 
That's all I saw was these white canine chompers glistening and wanting a piece of me, or so I thought. And I tell you, by the the F words were just coming out of my mouth as fast and furious as was humanly possible. By the time I got to Turkey, I had lost my voice. I couldn't yell at them anymore. And uh, so that that time in Greece was just spooky. How about your most memorable encounter with another cyclist who wasn't part of the race? And I'm wondering, what's what's it like when someone is up really trying to offer you their help and you have to say, no, this is unsupported? Well, boy... Uh, you're you're really getting into something. I don't think I told you about this ahead of time. So the rules of the race were that there was no support allowed uh, unless you went as a pair, and then the pair acted as a unit. Um, and and you know Mike uh, specifically said you know you really shouldn't have friends and family um, showing up and you know on your route and whatnot. But I have some friends from Slovenia and Italy. Um, that I've ridden with in the past, and they knew I was going to be on the event. So I had two encounters, one in Italy and one in Slovenia, where um, my friends had been tracking me on uh, track leaders. We had to spot satellite tracking devices. And my friend, Michele La Rosa, was waiting for me on the side of the road uh, in Torino on his bike. And there was another TCR rider, Eric Dahl, who I crossed paths with at the same time. And I, and I said to Eric, I, I guess as long as I don't draft him, it's okay. Because I was sort of taken aback. I didn't know whether this was violating rules or how this would work. So anyway, so Nikella rode with me for about an hour. I told him that, you know, he's got to stay back of me. I can't draft him. We stopped to get something to eat. He wanted to pay for my meal. We got in a fight because I wouldn't let him pay. So that's against the rules. And Mikel doesn't speak any English. I mean, he speaks a few words. He speaks more English than I speak Italian. But it was sort of humorous because, uh, you know, it was there. I was honored that he would do this, but I, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't something that was encouraged. Uh, and, and the same thing in Slovenia. My friend Simon Krasna, in, outside of Ljubljana, I'm riding along the road. And uh, I think I was on a bike path. Um, and I, I looked to my right, and there's another cyclist. And he had a, a Milia Italia, which is a 1600K Brevet in Italy jersey on. And I turned and I said, do I know you? And he says, yeah, I'm Simon. <laughs> and I was, like, shocked because I had no warning at all. And so uh, Simon rode with me for a little bit, and then I went off in the night on my own. Um, but uh, those were, you know, those were people I knew, but it was a big surprise. And, um, you know, they didn't really help me. It was, you know, but, and this is not something you can predict. And Mike didn't penalize me for it. It wasn't my fault. But, you know, you, you know I must say I was sort of honored and touched. Um, there were other dot watchers, not on bikes, but people following our dots. Um, uh, a guy in Italy and his young daughter uh, drove up to me in their car. And they knew my name as I was approaching the uh, Slovenian border. And then a, a woman, Rosanna, in um, Slovenia going into Croatia was on the side of the road cheering me on and knew my name. She'd been following my dot. So that was, that was sort of cool. The most spectacular vista that you saw. Wow. Um, I tell you, uh, going up 
uh, Mount Lofton was really amazing. Um, looking down at Codor Bay uh, on the Adriatic, uh, was quite spectacular. Um, you know, the view from Von, from Mount Von too isn't bad either, George. I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> before the interview's over, I got a good Von Tu story for you too. But uh, uh, that was pretty amazing. And then the Strada del Asiata, that 40k of high mountain gravel, that was just a special experience because it's all above 2,000 meters. It's 40k, and um, I did it on a. I, I started out like at four in the morning, and I did it on a crystal clear day. The weather could not have been better. And, uh, you know, it was just amazing. Um, however, I must say that the, uh, the power of my last morning, my last sunrise, looking east towards Istanbul and seeing these mosques and this very uh, Turkey-Istanbul flavor uh, that memory is is just sort of permanently etched on my mind, you know. And 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 you know the, uh, you know just just sort of pinching myself that I made it um, from Belgium. So it wasn't a big vista, but uh, you know that's the scene that sort of sticks in my mind. I think I sent you a picture of that. You described it well. Tell us about Von Tu. So. <laughs> So Von Tu, uh, I had been up the night before, and um, I slept in fields a couple times on the way, and my sleep was no good, and I didn't realize how tired I was, but it was about, you know, 1,000K, just 1,000K into the, or just short of 1,000K into the event. Um, and uh, we, we did the Bedouin route. The parkour was uh, going from Bedouin. And uh, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but uh, it's the best I can do. And all of a sudden, there are other riders, other racers that show up. And I figured this would be the case, that people were sleeping the night before. But I had ridden for most of the night. It was early morning, and I started up one, too. And um, I uh, was with a guy, um, Gregory Berry, who was a fast guy, who was much faster than I was. And finished, I think, three days before I did. But I think he had some problems with his tires or something that had slowed him down. And uh, the French guy. And uh, so we talked a little bit. And, and I was able to actually keep up with him, which sort of surprised me because he was pretty fast. I think I got to the top about six minutes after he did. So we talked a little bit at the top. And we said we, 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 said we would um, have lunch together in so um, on the way down. So uh, he took off, and I'm not a real fast ascender. So on my way down on two, I started falling asleep, George. I think I had like five micro naps on the way down on two. Not good. And it's a fascinating thing, you know, when you're climbing, you're all revved up, your catecholamines are flowing. But you know, you're exhausted. You get to the top, and then you're sort of coasting down, and you just start falling asleep. And that was just really scary. And finally, I had to pull over on the side of the road and take a nap. And so I finally get down to So, and Gregory is <laughs> a little bit hurt. Uh, he had already eaten, and he was about to take off. And I just, I, I, I said to him, I said, hey, I'm sorry, but I was going to die. I had to fall. I had to take a nap here. I was just falling asleep on the bike. 
And uh, I was uh, there was a party, a post-transcontinental race party in London last month, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go. I have family in England, so I visited them as well. And I'm telling this story to one of my nephews, who's a blues musician in England, David Nickton. He's quite good, actually. And I tell the story of falling asleep down on two, because he, he and my other nephew ride. And he's just looking at me like I'm crazy. He says, micro-naps, huh? You know, like you've got to be out of your mind. And you know what? He's right. It's pretty crazy. I was thinking you just inspired a great new song. Yeah, I was hoping he would write a song, but it hasn't happened yet. I'll have to get on him for that. So, Doug, what is it that's... This sounds like an incredible experience. One I could see you either not wanting to repeat because, you know, what could I do that would be better than this? Also, I totally would understand wanting to go back and, and experience it again. Why are you in the the state of, I'm not quite sure. Well, I tell you, I was pretty certain I would never do it again after finishing it. It was just so hard and dangerous, but it was so amazing that, um, I've got the itch bad, George. It's been, uh, I think, uh, let me see, September, October, November, three months since it's over. And, uh, I really do. I really want to do it again. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I am just dying to do it again because it's an amazing, uh, race an amazing adventure. And every year is different. Um, I don't want to say too much about next year because one, I don't know that much and, and hopefully you'll get my call, the race director on the show. But, uh, this next year, the first checkpoint is, uh, the Pete Dome. Uh, I don't know if you know about that. I just read a little bit. It's got some pretty impressive Tour de France history. Eddie Merckx was punched going up that thing. Um, and, uh, I don't know that much about the story, but uh, it sounds pretty interesting. The second checkpoint is uh, it's a parkour going from uh, Grindelwald to the Grinzel Pass. So uh, you do the Grossi Scheidig, uh, I'm sorry, to the Furka Pass. You do the Grossi Scheidig, the Grinzel Pass, and the Furka Pass in Switzerland. And I've done those climbs. And, and there, that's going to be a really hard parkour. Um, and then it goes to uh, the, the Paso di Gio uh, in Italy. And that's in the Dolomites. I mean, and I've never been to the Dolomites. Um, and then the next, the fourth checkpoint is Dermator Montenegro, um, which is, I think, further north than, than Mount Lofton, and I think it's higher up. Um, and I don't know anything about the Dermator. And then this coming year is going to finish in Tenecli, uh, which is the Asian side of Turkey. Um, it's, uh, I think, the, the closest uh, city to Troy. There's a Trojan horse, I think, in uh, Chinecoli. And, um, you know, it's going to be really cool because you're going to take a ferry at the very end to Asia. Um, and, you know, I think they did a really good job in, in, in this route for this coming year, from what I can say. Of course, I haven't done it, so I don't really know. But uh, the organizers are very tuned into safety. And even though the allure and the experience of Istanbul was just fantastic, and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, um, you know, it was dangerous and it was hard. And I think next year is going to 
be just as hard, but perhaps it will be safer in regard to the trucks. Um, you know, you asked about the, the dogs earlier. I had one experience going into Istanbul uh, in the middle of the night where I had a dog coming at me from the right and a truck pushing me off the road from the left. And, uh, I mean, you know, you look back and you just say to yourself, it's a miracle that uh, I survived that. So, Doug, we need to wrap up. Do you know the website for the Transcontinental? I think it's just transcontinental.cc. Um, but if you just Google Transcontinental Race, you have transcontinental.cc. Um, that's uh, or www.transcontinental.cc. And they can read all about it. And uh, whether you're going to do the race or just follow along, um, it's a great event to be involved with. And dot watchers are welcome. Douglas Migdon, as always, great visiting with you. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us and discuss what just sounds like an epic event. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for having me on. And uh, it's a great show. And it's a great event, the Transcontinental. It starts next year, July 30th. Over the Top Cycling, Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.